everyone. Thanks for checking out the Citizens Podcast. We are the high school student ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. in the student wing. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you posted it on your Instagram story and tag at NBC Citizens. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy. Obviously, we're talking about Christmas. Um, Christmas is right around the corner. Uh, let me ask you this as we start this morning. Who here already has their Christmas tree up? All right, most of you. So <laughs> there are some that don't have their Christmas tree up. That's totally fine by me. So you might ask some people, they might not agree, but I get it. That's fine. You got a lot going on. Thanksgiving just ended one step at a time. We're not even in December yet, so let's all relax. Some people, some people are already starting Christmas. Some people have started Christmas um, uh, long, uh, long ago. The day after Halloween, it became Christmas season for them. Um, if you're like my wife, uh, you already had the tree up for over or not over, but close to a month now. Um, as soon as we got back, that's the first thing she wanted to do was put up the tree. Um, uh, anybody else like that? Anybody else is like, okay, once Halloween is done, it's Christmas. Um, yeah, some of you probably been listening to Christmas music since Labor Day, um, getting yourselves prepared for Christmas. Um, Christmas is a lot of fun, right? It's a good time. It's great. There's a lot going on. Um, but as we obviously focus in on Christmas as it's coming around, you know, in just a few weeks now, um, I do want to just turn our attention to what Christmas is all about, right? Christmas is fun because we get to see family. Again, we get gifts. Um, Santa Claus stops by and everything, but the, the biggest thing that we are celebrating when we celebrate Christmas is, of course, the birth of Jesus Christ. And with our series today, we're going to be starting this um, Advent series, which is a series that spans for four weeks. Typically, this begins on the first Sunday of December is when Advent starts. But because Christmas Eve happens to be on a Sunday, and we won't be meeting in here on Sunday on that day, but there will be a main service, so I encourage you to come to that. But because we're not going to be here, we're only going to have three weeks together in December, we're going to start early, right? So we'll have the four weeks together. We're starting in November, but ending in December. We're going to go over four weeks, the four weeks of Advent, and talk about specific things that we look to in remembrance of, ultimately, the bigger picture here, the birth of Jesus. So we're going to start a week early because why not? It's totally fine. We got four weeks now where we'll be studying this together. And today, as we start this um, Advent series, the first week is uh, based on this word hope. Hope. And that's what week one is all about. It's what we're looking at. It's what we're talking about this morning. Uh, and what I encourage you to be thinking about as well, maybe throughout the week. Um, but if I were to ask you today, if I were to ask you um, simply, if somebody else were to ask you what hope means, what does it represent, what would you say, what is hope? Can somebody answer that for me? What is hope? Okay. You just used the sentence with the word hope in it, but in, <laughs> that's all right. It's all right. I get it. You don't see it, but you believe in it, essentially, Right. Okay. Um, hope is a feeling 
an expectation of something, right, that brings, brings you joy and you find joy in it, right? Great. We're going to be talking about today of that very thing. Uh, Jaden, did you just Google it? Yeah, yeah. It's all right. I'll give you the Google definition here in a second. Go, Chase. An expectation again. Sometimes unlogical seemingly to some, perhaps. I wouldn't say all of us blindly hope in something. If we truly hope in something, there's a reason behind it. To some other people, it might not seem that way. Anybody else? No? Okay, one more, Molly. So you're expecting, not just expecting, but expecting a particular outcome. Okay, despite what others might say. All right. Well, again, a lot of you guys use that word expecting, and uh, one of the definitions, there's a few definitions that I would find uh, online. Uh, Jaden, you probably got something like this, but it's a feeling of expectation, uh, a desire for a certain thing to happen, uh, as some of you said, but it's a desire, right? You wish for something, it's a feeling of trust, right? I would say to your point or what you were alluding to, Typically, no matter what others might say or feel about what you're hoping in, um, to you it is something you trust in, right? You firmly believe because you want something to happen or you want something to be the case. You long for something. You await for something. Again, we said we expect something. And hope, if you look at the history of uh, this uh, Advent calendar here and as it's been um, kind of celebrated throughout time, um, throughout different denominations, and I'm not saying we particularly celebrate that and, and it looks specifically that way here at our church, but I do think it's a relevant thing for us to look over um, and, and consider uh, for the next couple of weeks. Hope has been historically what people celebrate during this joyous and um, hopeful season in the first week leading up to Christ's birth. And I think that the reason behind that, the reason for that is because hope is what keeps us secure. It's what makes us stronger. It encourages us. Somebody said your joy, right? You mentioned your joy. It's firmly uh, attached to what you're hoping in. Uh, where we place our hope is directly correlated with our joy. And when we talk about joy, I'm not talking about uh, happiness, per se. Um, we're going to be talking about joy in, in, in the coming weeks as well and expanding on it, but I do want to ch- touch on it because it is related to hope. Um, we talk about joy. It's not happiness. Happiness is just a small fraction of what God desires for your life. True joy. Uh, it's not an imitation of it, but a small portion of it. It's two different things. Happiness is not the same thing as joy. And and you know that because if you've ever been happy, there have been times where something might happen, somebody might say something, and all of a sudden, a flip switches. And whilst you're happy in a moment, the next, you're not. You're angry. And sometimes you can pinpoint why that is. Other times you might not even be able to know why. You can't even reason why you're not happy anymore, but you're not. You can't find that same happiness you had just moments before. And again, that is not what joy is. Happiness is something that is limited. 
It's temporary and also fleeting. It's an imitation, as I said, of joy. And joy, it's a deep-rooted thing. It's a deep-rooted joy that is not bound to or limited to or affected by your circumstances. Joy doesn't waver like that. At least the joy that uh, we see in God's word, the one that he desires and designed you for. And we see an example of that as we look at the book of Acts, right? The last series that we had together was the book of Acts, and we talked about how these people were joyous. We talked about how they endured even violence, um, martyrdom, right? People were dying. People were being persecuted left and right, and yet they were praising God. They were joyful people known for that. And that's what joy is. That's why they can have joy, because they weren't on a quest to find happiness. They were after joy, and they lived in the light of truth. And although I want to imagine that all of us can relate to that, all of us would say that's true about us, okay, well, I find my joy in in God, and my joy is found in Christ. I know that my hope is in the Son of God. In theory, we understand that, and we know that as a concept, but the reality is a lot of the times when we're talking about what we hope for and what we place our hope in, it's not that. A lot of the times, most of the time, if we're being honest, our hope is constantly under attack. It's something that is, um, we, we struggle in like an incredible amount with. We're always putting our hope in different things. Uh, we talked about this in our study through um, through Romans, but we have idols in our lives. We, we, we tend to live for certain things in our lives that aren't gonna bring us the joy that we're really searching for, and yet we foolishly keep looking to these things to fill in us this void that we so long for, that we were created for, and yet, again, we can't find it. It does not satisfy because we hope for the wrong things. And our hope is constantly being assaulted. If we put our hope in other things, idols in our lives, then um, we're not going to be satisfied. And typically, if we're going to really categorize these things in our lives, these idols, they, they boil down to four different things. Before we get into our passage this morning, I do want to just quickly touch over these things. The first thing being comfort. Comfort is often something that a lot of us live for. Right? Anybody here have an Amazon Prime account? Right? right? An Amazon account isn't enough. You need Amazon Prime because you need that thing overnight. We have been designed, right, built to think that we should have it easy, that everything should be easy for us, that everything should be um, made so that we can have it when we want, what we want, whenever we want. And I would say that these are not necessarily bad things to aspire to, right? To want the things that we desire. However, it is different to hope for something and to place your hope in it. Because what happens when you're uncomfortable? And let me break it to you. Um, if you didn't really, uh, if you didn't already know, things will be uncomfortable. That is inevitable. It's not always going to be comfortable. It's not always going to be easy the way some people want, the way most of us want in some way. But if you're living for that, if that's what your hope is in, you're going to be uncomfortable. And what happens? What happens is is that you become anxious when you face adversity. 
And you start to attack other people and blame others because of your circumstances. And when you attack others, usually you affect those in arm's reach. The people that are around you and the people that you love and you care about, that you surround yourself with. Those are the people you tend to blame because you don't have the comfort that you so desire. The thing that you put your hope in and you blame them for your circumstances. And that's what you put your hope in. You end up with a life full of anxiety and stress to attain something that you never will be able to attain fully. It's impossible. And you're also left with a boring life. You're you're left without any real ambition or um, drive, motivation, because why would you risk anything if you just want comfort? And you coast and you don't think you don't take things seriously, you don't mature as we've also talked about in here. You just seek comfort, it's all you want. But I wanna tell you that if that's you, if comfort is what you place your hope in, you're not gonna find the real joy you're after. Real joy, it can only be found, not from chasing after a self-seeking pleasure, but only through self-sacrificing service. If it's not comfort for you, maybe it is acceptance. A desire to be loved by other people. That's what you hope for. You hope for um, everybody accepting you, loving you, thinking that you are a great person. You place your hope in the opinions of others about you. And if that's you, you end up even worse than that other individual that we were talking about because, again, if it's impossible to be comfortable all the time, I can't imagine how much more difficult it is to hope for that uh, everybody likes you because it's even more difficult for that to be the case. It's not just difficult, it never will be the case. People won't always love you, agree with you, And if that's what you're living for, you're gonna be running around in circles because you'll never get to that place. If you're like me, when you're in an unfamiliar part of town or you go to a place that you don't know and you're looking for somewhere to eat, you typically Google best food near me. Um, I I do that all the time. Even when my wife is like, hey, where do you wanna go? I even do that here because I still don't know every place that exists here. But I'll just Google, hey, best food near me. Or if you wanna get specific, you type in, hey, best Mexican food near me or best whatever it is near me. And then you make a decision based off of that. At least that's what I do. Um, I was just doing that the other day, trying to find a nice Italian restaurant around here because I still haven't found one. If you know one, let me know. But anyways, so you, you type that. Now, as an expert on this, let me, let me just give you a quick heads up. If you find a place that has five stars, it's a trap. Don't, don't go there. It's not, it's not five stars. They probably have like 10 reviews or less, and even still, is, something's off. Something's not right, it's fishy, right? It's impossible, right? What you're really looking for is one of those 4.7s, 4.8s, those are the places you want to go to because those are the legit spots. And also, as a, as a side note, too, stay away from the $3 signs. You know, $2 signs, maybe on an occasion, $3 signs is fine, but two, that's fine. Um, that's, that's what you're looking for, right? Because the same reason applies. There's always going to be somebody that disagrees, doesn't like it, doesn't enjoy it, 
has a bone to pick or, or has a different preference. You're never going to find 100% agreement on something. And if you're living for that, if you're hoping for that, right, you're always going to be disappointed because you're never going to get that 100% approval rate that you so desire. There's a reason, right, for this, right? If you live for this, um, you're going to be disappointed because there will always be somebody that doesn't approve, dislike something, um, and that's a trap. If you live for that, you become enslaved. You become enslaved to that because you're always wondering, well, what does this person think of me? Did I do too much? Did I do something wrong? What could I have done different? What is that person thinking about me? You might have a million people saying great things about you, but those two people, that one person that says that one thing about you, you'll focus on that rather than the other thing. That eats away at you, and, and you'll never find joy that way if that's what your hope is in. And if it's not those two things, it might be control for you. More often than not, when I'm driving, um, I'm pretty laid back, pretty relaxed, pretty, pretty at ease, pretty carefree, which is maybe not so great of a thing because when my wife is next to me, she's usually like hyperventilating, pretty nervous, kind of anxious because she's like, she's like a, not a backseat driver because she's sitting there, but she's like my co-pilot. Like, hey, there's a red light. Um, and she kind of gets a little anxious when I drive because she drives totally different than I do. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. That's beside the point. The point is this, I'm usually like that because I'm in control. Right? For most of you that have driven or drive, you know what it's like to be steering um, the car, to be conducting the car, be, be behind the wheel, and you feel in control and you're at ease because you're, you're navigating, right? You're, you know which direction you're going because you are the one that is leading the way, essentially. And people in life will, will live for that feeling, live to feel that and place their hope in those things, to be in control of everything in their lives. And if they can just control everything in their lives, then everything else around them is gonna line up. Everything else will sort itself out. People convince themselves that if they can control everything, um, which, by the way, you can't, that everything will add up and they'll be fine. But I want to tell you, no matter how much you try to fool yourself into thinking that you can control all things, you cannot. Anybody here not like surprises, right? You don't like surprise parties. You're actually, <laughs> you dislike them. Um, you're not even surprised at all. You're just like, oh, all right, here we go. Um, because you don't know what to expect, right? They might throw you a surprise party and you're like, oh yeah, that's not what I would have done. You much rather organize your whole birthday party the way that you want it because you want to have control over the situation. You have your own standards and you want to make sure that they meet those standards. You rather control everything as opposed to that. People who have their hope in control want certainty over things because they have their own standards. But again, as we know, you'll never get to that place where you have that kind of control. And throughout, throughout time, you'll notice that. Try having that expectation when you get married, by the way, one day, right? That to have your spouse live up to your standards all the time. It's your way or the highway. Good luck. It just doesn't happen. And when your hope is in all of that, then all you end up with is loneliness, 
because it's just you and nobody else gets to that level. Nobody fully understands you and you're left alone and you worry because of the things that you can control, they eat away at you. Control and lastly, power. You just want success. And unlike the other ones where you want to be accepted, you want to be loved, you want people to care about you, you don't even care about that. At whatever cost it is, I just want to win. If it means that I can have success and win at life, then so be it. Even if people don't like me, that's fine. I just want power. The reason behind that is because it becomes synonymous with that, right? What you have accomplished. People put their hope in being the best. They don't think that they will fail, but let me, let me just tell you, once again, you will fail. And if your hope is in that, you're gonna be hit with a very hard reality check. And what happens is you'll feel humiliated. You'll feel discouraged and you'll be angry because the truth is none of us are perfect and every single one of us will fail. All of us. And out of those different things that we just mentioned there, I think, and as a matter of fact, I know in some ways each and every one of us struggles with something that I just said there. We put our hope in those things and maybe it's not just one, maybe it's a culmination of them, a combination of each of them perhaps. And if that's what you're putting your hope in, your joy is ultimately going to be effective. The reason being, uh, each one of those things will fail. They will fall flat. Those things give you false hope. But God, what he offers you is the kind of joy that once again is not contingent on circumstance. Even despite your own frailties, despite your own shortcomings. With that being said, I think that there's a, a great verse that kind of segues us into this thought and this idea. It's found in Hebrews 10. And it'll be on the screen, but if you have your Bibles and you wanna turn there or write that down, Hebrews 10 gives us an uh, insight into that. Right, when we talk about what our hope should then be in, right, if we're gonna boil it down to the most simple answer, our hope should not be in those things that we talked about. It should be in Jesus. <laughs> and that's a really easy answer and one that you're probably already familiar with. And you could have expected that's what I was gonna say this morning, right? Jesus, our living hope, the one that can provide us this a deep joy, deep-rooted joy. But I don't wanna just end with that, right? I don't wanna just say, hey, your hope is in Jesus and, and you get out of here. I wanna give you something that you can grab onto and hold onto, that you can take with you as you think about that relationship. As I mentioned not too long ago, despite your frailties, right, we can have hope in him. I think there's a beautiful thing here that the a writer says in Hebrews, in verse 19, where we'll start. He says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, here we see that we are completely known by God and still we are welcomed in his presence. Anybody here have a guilty pleasure? I know, you guys know what that is? Guilty pleasure? 
right? A guilty pleasure is typically something that, I don't know, you might do or you might watch you know, some kind of media you might consume, but you're not too fond of everybody knowing <laughs> that you do those things or enjoy that, right? You kind of keep it under wraps. It's uh, something that you're probably embarrassed about sharing that most people don't know. Not everybody does know, but we all kind of have those things, right? I know some of you guys, some of you boys are probably like Swifties, but you'll never admit it. You'll never say it, uh, except for JB. I know very, very clearly that he is. Um, uh, he's pretty vocal about it, as a matter of fact. Um, <laughs> but we all have those things that we're typically embarrassed about, and we don't like to share with others, right? We don't, we don't kind of just announce it to the world um, some of us probably like failed our driving test a million times, but nobody has to know. Um, these are things that we kind of just don't, don't bring up. Um, and yet they're the truth about us, but we're embarrassed about it. Beyond that though, aside from these like guilty pleasures, these things that we're embarrassed about, we also have sin in our lives. There's things that we are consumed by, things that we indulge in, and more often than not, what we end up doing with those ugly things in our lives, we just try to sweep them under the rug. We try to hide them away. We keep secrets and we hide things from others. And not just your friends, right? Because typically, often, actually, that sin, you're... you're those things are tied up with your friends. You're indulging in doing those things with those people. You're not keeping it from them. But you're keeping them away from people that love and care for you like your parents. You hide these things from them. You know, I unfortunately, part of my testimony is that I got pretty good at hiding things from my own parents myself. Right? Maybe it was my parents turning a blind eye, you know, you know, hoping for the best, praying that God was gonna turn things around in my life. But again, I got away with doing a lot of things that were incredibly shady growing up when I was around your age. I, I don't take pride in it, but it felt like I got pretty good at it. But thankfully, by the grace of God, he got a hold of my life and he ultimately changed my heart. Um, but I want us to realize, and what I failed to do uh, then was I, I understood and I knew that I was deceiving my parents and the people around me. But we can't hide anything from God. You, you, you can do your best at fooling everybody around you, but you're not gonna fool God. You can't. All the things that you think you keep secret, he knows everything about you. All things he knows. Um, I know this is kind of before your time, but anybody here ever watched the movie Truman Show? Yeah, yeah. It's a great film. Um, the Truman Show, for those of you that have not watched I'm not going to give you a full-blown synopsis here, but The Truman Show, uh, the main character is played by Jim Carrey, but essentially he's an insurance salesman. And he lives his whole life in a lie. The moment he is born... He was put in an environment with actors who live fake lives around him and they record his life. They film everything that he is doing and it's like this reality TV shows and everybody knows except him. He thinks he's living his life 
and he's a normal human being, but it's a whole show based on just his life. And people watch everything he does. I can't imagine what that would be like if there was a camera on you, a CCTV watching you the whole time. Your life would be so different if you knew that people could see everything you do, the way you act, the way you behave, the attitude, the, the things that you say and do, and, and, and the way you act. When, when you think nobody's watching, I know personally, if that was me, I would change a whole lot about my life. But that's not the case, at least we don't think that's the case, when in reality, God has that perspective on your life, and you totally dismiss it, or are totally blind to it, or forget it, or even ignore it. But God, he sees you constantly, everything that you have in your life, all the secrets you think you're hiding from everybody, you don't hide from him. He sees everything about you, the good, the bad, the embarrassing, everything in your life, everything you've been embarrassed about, he knows it. Right, guys, when you're in your room practicing TikTok dances, he sees that embarrassing time in your life. He knows you're doing that. And yet, with all these things that we're ashamed about, the sin in your lives that you don't wanna tell anybody about, he sees it, he knows all things, and yet, despite of all of that, as we just read, he still welcomes you into his presence. God, that's a beautiful thing. Imagine, it seems opposite, right? There's people that don't know anything about us and hate us. They reject us. They don't accept us or love us. And yet there's a God who knows everything about you, every ugly detail about your life, and he loves you unconditionally and welcomes you in his presence. Seems backwards. The one who knows all of your faults, every frailty you have, every weakness of yours, he loves you, welcomes you into his presence. And you can have confidence in that, as Hebrew 10 says. You can be assured that that's the case. It's not, hey, God, will you accept me into your presence? It's like, no, he does, and you can have confidence in that. You can boldly approach him because you know that he accepts you, that he has made a way for you to come into his presence because of his son, Jesus. If you want real joy, you gotta get in the presence of God. If you want real joy, you have to get into the presence of God. Verse 21. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Anybody here have a dog? I have a dog myself. Anybody here? Yeah, dog, dogs, whatever it is. Um, I have a dog, but he's more like a small bear. He's not really, not really like a dog. Um, but anyways... Now, Romeo is a pretty stubborn guy, but he's smarter than the way he acts, if that makes any sense, right? I, I think sometimes he's kind of dumb, um, but he's smarter than he looks. If, yeah, I, I don't really know. I'll, I'll give you an example. So my dog is infatuated by socks. If he sees a loose sock, my boy goes crazy. So if you're around him, be careful with your loose socks. Um, 
But if he sees a sock for doing laundry in a slop, like a sock falls, he goes, he'll grab the sock and he'll run to his bed or go in a corner and he'll like play with it. But he knows he is not supposed to do that. So if he's playing with a sock and my wife or I, we, we come near him, he drops the sock and runs to the other side of the house. He just books it to the, I don't know, the other room. And then he sits down and acts like all cute and tries to win you over with his, you know, puss in boots eyes, right? Um, he, see, that's what I mean. Like, he's dumb because he keeps getting in trouble because he's in the side. But he knows to run away from it because he's going to get in trouble. He flees, right, when he's doing something wrong. And oftentimes when we are sinning, when we have this guilt and this shame, we do the same thing, right? And we do the same thing with God. We run. We cower in fear, right? When you were growing up, if you did something wrong, right, I mean, if you just drop something and break something, you're getting in trouble. You don't just stand there and then put up a sign that says, I broke it. You run to the other room. You either pick it up, throw it away, and then run. Uh, I've tried to glue stuff back together or just put them there, and it's missing something or there's, it's broken. But you run away. You try, you, you try to rearrange things. You hide whatever it is that you do. You don't just stay there. It's not part of us, our DNA innately, right, to just go to our parents and be like, hey, Here's the vase I broke. No, we, 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 we run. And that's something that's been the case since the beginning of time. If you look at Genesis, right, when Adam and Eve sinned, right, in Genesis 3, in verse 8, it says that when they heard the Lord God walking in the garden, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. They ran and they hid in the trees. And this is, guys, backwards than what we really need during those times. When we're in the midst of difficulties, when we are in those places, when we have struggled, when we have sinned against God, we need to run to him. We need him. And we need to go to him because he's the only one that can cleanse us. And he washes us clean here, as it says in verse 21 and 22. We can come to him not just with thanksgiving like we talked about last week, right? with praise and worship and adoration, but also, as we also said, with our humble request because he sympathizes as our high priest. We can bring anxieties, fears, worries, and pains, things that often are a result of our own foolishness and our own sinful decisions, bring those to him. And while under those hardships, we can know that he's there with us. Why? Because verse 28, again, 23, again reminds us, Let's hold fast the confection of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. He is faithful. When you're hurting, he does not forsake you or abandon you. Right? When you're struggling with all those things that you're blindly hoping for, in the difficulties of life, he is faithful. And as we look at Christmas, as we remember the birth of Jesus, we can see God's faithfulness on full display through his son, Jesus Christ, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For all promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus. That is why that through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. All his promises are fulfilled in Jesus. We just have to look to him. Hebrews 10, again, shows us that God is all-knowing, loving, He's welcoming, he is forgiving, faithful. He's able to cleanse us. He is there for you. And if that's what your hope is in, 
then that enables you to walk in a deep-rooted joy that really is supernatural because God, unlike anything else, is unwavering. Right? Instead of seeking comfort, instead of hoping for comfort, we can hope in the comforter. Instead of seeking acceptance and, and knowing that we'll never find it from everybody, God loves us. And he loves even the worst. He loves us despite the worst parts about us. Not just that, but when we try to control all things, we can just hand over that burden to God who is sovereign over everything. If our hope is in him, we don't have to worry about those things because he is in control, even of the difficult things that we may not understand, the chaos around us. And he is all-powerful. He has already given us victory. We can find that hope in him as opposed to trying to find it for ourselves. So again, with all that being said, just as you leave today, I want you to reflect and think about that. Where are you placing your hope, right? Because our hope is directly correlated with our joy. What are you putting your hope in? Are you putting it on these idols, these things that are gonna give you false hope and not, uh, not really give you the hope and, and the joy that you're searching for? Will you find it in Jesus? Find it in God? We talked about, again, those inclinations of our hearts. But ask yourself, what am I bent towards? Am I constantly living to be in a life of comfort, to have everything easy? Or am I living to be accepted by others? Or am I living to be in control of everything, have power over everything? What is it in you? What, 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 what one or which combination of them? And ask yourself, am I living with my hope in God, in Jesus Christ, my living hope, the one who can give me that deep-rooted joy that I seek and want and that all of us do? It's important to take inventory of these things to understand that we struggle and what we struggle with and know that the deep-rooted joy that only God can bring is allowed to us and given to us if we repent of these things and we come before his presence and we walk with him. Let's pray. Dear Father, Lord, again, thank you for this time. Thank you for um, this morning where we get to open up your word, remembering um, the birth of your son. Um, who you sent to die for us, to take our sin upon himself, Lord. I, I pray that we would approach this season uh, with uh, grateful hearts, Lord, remembering again that our hope is in you, our living hope, reigning today, Father, that we can um, live a life um, knowing that um, despite our weaknesses, you love us and you care for us and you made a way to be reconciled with you through your son. So just pray that we would... Um, not just look to the festivities, the food, and the presents, but think most importantly about who you are and what you have done for us. We pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Good morning uh, at Citizen. I uh, hope you guys have a great day.